Welcome to another episode of Consider This. Um, we uh, kind of came into the studios somewhat at the uh, spontaneous conversation that I had with a couple of people recently. Um, no one, no one was uh, was aggressive with this comment. Nobody was, but they were asking the question either playfully or very seriously. And so here's the question: um, Did I, did Jim Johnson, did I preach Calvinism on Sunday? So we're in the Matthew uh, series still. We're winding it up, and we're dealing with the crucifixion of Jesus. And uh, it seems to be uh, described in the text uh, with the prophecies of Jesus. And I went to a text in Revelation chapter 13, which described um, the, 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 the plan of God. First Peter 1.19 would be a parallel, and, and then in verse 20 and following, um, that God foreordained, foreknew, predestined, whatever word you want to use, um, uh, the cross of Christ. And so this had been a plan of his from the beginning. And so I had someone kind of spontaneous just just ask me, hey, my wife and I were talking, and were you preaching Calvinism on Sunday? So instead of me defending myself, um, I've got Justin Ebert in here, uh, our uh, high school, one of our high school ministers, and then we've got uh, Ryan Vincent in here, again, one of our uh, adult ministry uh, disciple makers. Actually, Justin's a disciple maker too, so hopefully we're all disciple makers. But uh, the question is, um, did you hear, what, what did you guys hear? Did you hear Calvinism or when is, I want to talk a little bit about what, not just what I said, but how it's heard. So yeah, yeah. Ryan. Well, before we, before we even answer that, it's probably important to set the context of the question. Um, we are, as a, as a restoration church, we are historically um, more on the, the side of Arminianism. And so just for any listeners that, that those Arminianism and Calvinism don't, don't aren't, aren't buzzwords in your ear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Calvinism has Which a, is an accurate representation of us. Yeah, 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 it is. And so um, Calvinism is a theological system that has a heavy emphasis on um, predestination is a big word for them, but on on uh, everything being uh, everything in the salvation process being at, at the very hands of God. He is working everything out. He has a very definitive plan. Things are set in motion from the beginning, and uh, it has a very low view of the concept of free will. Um, more or less a, a a no view of the concept of free will, and then <laughs> Arminianism on the other side has a very similar um, emphasis on, say, total depravity, and and a lot of these um, aspects of Calvinism in terms of the sovereignty that Calvinism appreciates. But Calvinism is a theological system that tries to integrate the th- the free will of humanity with the plan of God, and 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 work out how those things work in tandem. So when someone asks, "Did you preach Calvinism?" they're saying, "Did you preach that text in such a way that mankind is really just a pawn in God's grand scheme of things? That things are just." playing out as God wrote the script millions and billions of years ago, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the question. That's the question. That's the question, which, you know, for some for some people that especially have come from whether a Reformed background or maybe even just a, a typical Baptist background, I mean, they're kind of like middle road Calvinists, so to speak. Um, hope, I hope I'm able to speak accurately. If not, Brent Prentice, I'm sure you're listening and you can help me out, brother. I'd always appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think from both of those backgrounds, there's a certain view of God's foreordination, God's predestination, God's God's plan. And so some of our people who have, have heard that, kind of even one of them I think was asking kind of playfully, hey, you're finally willing to admit that uh, this is what the Bible teaches, which I, I think is kind of fun. I'll, I'll share a little bit later on kind of what my response was. But Justin, how did you, how did you hear it? Um, 
Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I knew as soon as you were saying it, some of the things that would be said in response, and so it doesn't surprise me we're talking about it today. But I remember in the midst of sitting there as a listener, as a student, as a someone who's trying to be like Jesus, just thinking, man, this is, this is the text. And so to say something other than what we're saying right now would be to betray the text. Yeah. And I think we would agree in our church and also probably historically in our movement, we always want to first allow the yeah. text to be the text. And Revelation 13, 8 is talking about how God has set something in motion before <laughs> the foundation of the world. And whether that's names being written in the book of life or Jesus being slain, and then we can, like you said, John can tell us, yeah, it doesn't really matter where you put that that, um, that phrase. And so truly I was just thinking how ma- it was a mature way to say it. You weren't trying to get to your point, which was Calvinism. You were saying, this is the text. I am going to admit I don't know everything and everything about how God works and makes decisions, but this is what it says, and we're going to be true to it. Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, that's what I'm hoping that I'm able to do. I'm hoping that somehow as I'm dealing with the text, I can't just, man, I don't, my theological system doesn't agree with this. So I believe in the free will of man. So this text obviously can't mean what it clearly means. It's like, no, I need to change my system to fit the text. Yeah, right? we, we don't want to make uh, the mistake of anachronism where we're we're taking something that was developed in the 1500s and making what was written in the first century fit its system. Every system is inherently flawed. I'm, I'm, a, um, I'm neither a complete Arminian nor complete Calvinist. I think they both have enormous gaps in the system that they cannot inherently take into account the whole counsel of Scripture. And so yeah. it, both of these systems have to bow down to Scripture at some point. So the question is, were you preaching Calvinism? It's like, well, I was preaching the text, so I wouldn't... <laughs> I wasn't preaching, you know, a 15th century or 16th century theological system. That just so happened to coincide with this particular text. But, you know, in a couple of weeks I might preach another text, and then the, the Arminian system might actually line up with it. There's, yeah. no, there's no system that takes into account the entire counsel of God in well, Scripture. It's probably, it's probably our biggest frustration is that when people say, this is how— this is who God is and how he works every single time. We know without a shadow of a doubt that this is the way God functions, as if our finite minds can comprehend fully an infinite God, which is foolish and which is one of probably my biggest frustrations sure. with any system and probably more my frustration with Calvinism because they make it seem as if this is the box which airtight. everything has to fit within and they like the airtightness of it. And I can understand that because I like airtight things too. But I don't think that's the way we can categorize nor think of God at times. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because uh, this isn't the only text that brings us up, right? You have, whether it be Ephesians 1 or many texts in the book of Romans, um, or even Old Testament texts, which kind of come in more of the, the narrative or the poetic form, um, prophetic po- prophetic poetry that you will read in the, uh, in the prophets. You have all of these ideas kind of swimming around together. And, you know, uh, I like how Justin described it. What we are trying to do here at Sunnybrook, and I believe at the heart of the Restoration Movement, which is the groups of churches that we have been associated with and a part of, um, letting the text win. One of my, you know, uh, one of my former professors wrote a, a preaching book entitled Letting the Text Win. And so that's kind of the idea. That's kind of the goal. Um, maybe we can be rightfully accused of um, uh, allowing there to be some then inconsistencies 
in our theology, which I, I'm, I'm always willing to hear. I'm always willing to hear someone say, well, listen, you know, you're, you're, you're letting go as you're trying to, to bring these ideas together. So I want to, you know, see, so guys, what's, what's, what's at stake? I mean, when we talk about, and, you know, we might be able to share some, maybe some new words for some of you that are actually listening. One of them would be like an exegetical theology versus a systematic theology. Um, what are those two ideas? So exegetical theology, do one of you want to try to explain what we mean by that? Okay, so exegetical theology, Justin, so, uh, hit it, take a shot at it. Yeah, so we have two things. One word you may have heard us use before would be eisegesis versus exegesis. Eisegesis is reading something into something. So I have a preconceived notion which I want to portray onto a text, right? And so Jim could have read a text and immediately tried to go to his um, his thought, his opinion, and he intercedes that or interjects that into um, something and that's eisegesis but exegesis is we draw something out of a text we read a text we try to understand it in its original context we want to know the author's intended meaning we draw out the truth of that we draw out what it's saying about God what it's saying about who he is and what he has done and that's exegetical theology we are drawing out of the text God's own word who God is and what he's done and what that then means for us Okay. Not the other way around. Okay, so exegetical, ek meaning out, mm-hmm. ice meaning into. Um, so exegetical and eisegetical uh, interpretation, okay? So welcome to some new words possibly for some of you. Um, so then that's one thing that we do, but there's lots of texts, and we believe the Bible is one. So Ryan, explain kind of what we're trying to do with systematic theology. Right. Um, in contrast to exegetical theology, which would come to Acts 2 and limit itself to Acts 2 and maybe Acts 1 and 3 in terms of its uh, our ability to speak about the Holy Spirit and what he does and how that works out. That's an exegetical approach. It's very limited. We are going to say what Acts 2 says. I don't have to worry about Acts 3 because Acts 2 does its own thing. Yes. Right? Yes. If, we do, if we look at what Justin said, I don't need to worry about Acts 3. I don't need to worry about Romans 8. Yet, yeah, I can just do X, let X two be X two. X two will inform X three, yeah. but right yeah. now we can limit yeah. ourselves. That's yeah. an exegetical approach. Um, a systematic approach says we're going to go from Genesis one to Revelation twenty two, and we are go- basically going to find every mention of the Spirit of God working, and we're going to observe all of these things and start to categorize and list things out, and basically try to create an entire system of. In, in I have a lot of systematic theology textbooks, and there will be um, chapters that thick on the Holy Spirit, several hundred pages on the Holy Spirit. And what they're doing is they're looking at 66 books worth of information on the Holy Spirit, and they're actually looking at even church history, and they're trying to say, if you want to talk about the Holy Spirit as a topic, this is yeah. how we talk about the Holy Spirit. This is how we talk about salvation, how we talk about you know sin and humanity and God and Jesus and redemption, all these things. We have all these categories, and what we're trying to do is take the whole counsel of Scripture and synthesize them to come up with this is who Jesus is. And um, the, the exegetical approach would say, actually, let's go to uh, you know Matthew 1 and see who Jesus is. Yeah. Jesus is the, the Davidic king. That's what we get from Matthew 1. Systematics would say, yeah, he's the Davidic king and the son of man and the suffering servant and the son there of God. At the very beginning, yes. he was the word speaking the, the universe into existence. So, so systematics tries says, to cover all of it. Yep. Yep. And that's the difference between um, Calvinism is a systematic approach. Um, and I don't think that it's an airtight approach, like you mentioned. Like there's holes in it, but it's a, it's an attempt to systematize 
really a soteriology, a, 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 an understanding of the process of salvation, how all that works. That's Calvinism proper. I mean, there are other parts to it, but that's its main bent. And it's interesting because, I mean, you know, just for us to understand, it's, it's not a new idea. Calvin did not come up with this. John Calvin, um, in, in many ways, was trying to find uh, kind of the historical roots of an, a, a deeper understanding of the nature of God, the nature of our brokenness, God's um, sovereign will and sovereign control over the universe. And so m- many people, I had a professor in grad school who would always say, you know, you don't need to use the word Calvinism, use the word Augustinianism. Yeah. So uh, many of his views, I think, are shared by Augustine, come from Augustine. So it goes all the way back to the 400s. And I think yeah. Augustine would say, hey, I was just reading the text. <laughs> yeah. And that's the part that I love about all these guys, that I love about John Calvin and that I love about Augustine, that yeah. I love about Aquinas is, Everyone's reading the text, trying to understand how all of these things fit together. So one of the reasons why this, I think, matters so much to us is that we can't just say we're exegetical theologians and we're going to allow these inconsistencies to sit in the room. We don't believe there are inconsistencies in the Bible. We believe that we are limited in our ability to synthesize, but we believe the text is perfect, that when God will one day speak truth to us, if we were to ask him any text, he could explain it, exactly what the author meant. And, and ultimately, we believe he's the author, capital A author, not small a author. And so that's why we believe, um, and we're almost, we're, we're, we're trying to find, to retrace the hand of the author, to understand what God himself was meaning as he used these human authors to write this, this book. And the, the Bible is very human in that sense, that God used human authors under his uh, direct guidance of the Holy Spirit. As all of those things come together, we do our best to synthesize, but not, I would even argue, not knowing the full scope of what is happening, not being able to fully understand the historical context, not being able to fully understand the mind of the reader and the author, small a author, Paul or whoever, right? Um, we're, we're, we're left trying to piece some of these things together. So, yeah. But, you know, one of the litmus tests that I, I ask people to, to put themselves through when we're having this conversation, did you preach Calvinism? And it's a great question. But what I tell them is, I actually don't mind if you're a Calvinist. I, there's, there's so <laughs> much about Calvinism that I love and appreciate. I, again, I'm not really on either side. Um, I, I kind of operate on an a la carte me- basis. <laughs> I take what's good and leave what's not. Hey, um, and by the way, um, some of our friends on both sides would just say, well, you're just being lazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's quite, they, they, might even, they, may, they might smile about it. They're not saying sure. you're being ignorant. Yeah. But they're saying, no, you can't, you can't just pick and choose. Yeah. Right? But what I'll, what I'll ask them, I'll say, hold to your system. Um, but when reading the text, if your system conflicts with the text, which one will you abandon first? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it must be the system. The system, by definition, is the one with the inherent flaws. Yeah. Even if we can't see them, even if I can't articulate what they are, I know this isn't. I, I, you know, it's interesting because there are some great texts that kind of wrestle with this idea, whether it becomes the, um, uh, the perseverance of the saints uh, becomes one question. Um, so Calvinism's got a particular view about uh, believers who cannot lose their salvation because in the end, if you ever have it, you can never lose it. Um, by the way, we share a lot in common with them on this issue, even though we might, you know, have it. We, it gets complicated in terms of working that out. But two two authors of the more of the reformed perspective. One of them was Moises Silva, and the other one is R.T. France. And both of them, one in a book of, on Hebrews and another one on the on the book on Second Peter, wrote in their commentary. I thought this was, and I thought it was intellectually honest too. But they said my. Uh, theological construct, my not just Calvinism, but my understanding of how the Bible fits together, cannot properly explain this text. Mm-hmm. 
So, so A. Hebrews 6, probably. Yeah, it was yeah. Hebrews 6. Um, so it was fascinating that, you know, here you have texts uh, that describe something very particular. And again, my hat goes off to the fact that they were willing to say, my system does, cannot explain this text. Um, and so here, I mean, I, so in the, in the end, I think they're trying to do kind of a similar, similar a la carte idea that you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, I think it really can be honest. Um, here's one thing I want to kind of, as we, as we some, kind of wrap this up, I, w- I want to ask this question. Um, so then what's, what's really at stake? I mean, cause let's just deal with what some people are asking. They're really not asking a generically, um, Hey, we're, are, are we more Calvinist than we thought? Like it doesn't matter. I mean, you're dealing with the idea in Revelation 13.8 or 1 Peter 1.19, and I think it goes much deeper than that, that God foreknew and that God ordained or predestined. And I'm fine with any word you want. I'm actually comfortable with the whole idea that God is the one who orchestrated the sending of his son to die on a cross for our sins in our place. I don't think he was like, hey, you know what? Hey, now there's a cross around. That can I didn't know that was going to happen. I yeah. think I'll use like one God, of those. He's not, not a Peyton somehow, Manning calling an audible. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. It's like he's Omaha. reacting to us. Omaha, yeah. Omaha. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's not reacting to us. So this is the part where, you know, as, a, as, as more of a maybe an uninformed Armenian kind of growing up, um, it was never bothered me. I never, that, 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 that idea has never bothered me. I went home and I asked my wife, who's absolutely sweet and kind and loves the Lord with all her heart does not wrestle with the um, the synthesis of text like I do or like we do. Um, and I just asked her, I said, babe, do you, when you, when you look at this text, I mean, when you heard what I preached today, does that kind of rub you raw a little bit? Does that kind of make you go, wow, how did God do this? And then what did that mean about Judas? And how does this, and so the Romans weren't at fault because this was God's plan. And it was interesting because she was very thoughtful. She was very reflective, um, it, you know, without going into it, because it really doesn't matter what, ultimately, you know, where she's coming from. She's just one more person trying to understand this. But I loved that she said, no, I, I wonder about these things. I think about these things. In the end, she's able to let it go and to kind of not get trapped in the idea of the predestination or the foreordination of God according to his foreknowledge. But some of our people are. Um, does one of you, Justin, do you want to try to explain try to explain the angst and some of those things that are actually going on in people's minds? Yeah. One of the purposes of this podcast is to help people be part of the conversations we're having, right? And so just the other mm, two weeks ago, Jim asked the question about Judas. So mm-hmm. who who mm-hmm. has a pro- who has a hard time mm-hmm. and wrestles mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more with the fact that it seems like God preordained or predestined <laughs> Judas to be a betrayer. Sure. You know, and ultimately who knows where he is right now, right? Judas but, was this awesome person, but right. God made him become right. Judas. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. You know, what do you do with that text? And sometimes our systems can yep. can betray us or lead us in one direction or the other. And I think that's what my biggest hangup was when I was trying to understand the argument between Calvinism and Arminianism is, can God really create something made in his image to be damned to hell for all of eternity? And that's hard to swallow. That's why there's so many people that, try to dismiss hell in general. Like we don't like the idea of people that we have a relationship or could have a relationship being damned by our creator who says he loves us unconditionally. Right. And so that's where they get caught up is the love of God. How can he be all loving 
and all-powerful. It doesn't seem like he can be both all-loving and all-powerful because if he was all-powerful, then he would love all of us so much that he would have our relationship with us in eternity. And so that's, I think, that's what people are dealing with. Ryan, I'll turn to you then. So then how do... How do we resolve this? Like, how do we like, and, and again, I don't even want to resolve this perfectly, but I want to say, because so how you can't, because you can't. So how, what are some ways to think about it? So God did, and I'll, I'll even stick to the words in the text. God had a foreknowledge of this. Um, so that that's one of the key words that the Bible keeps using. Those he foreknew, he also predestined those he foreknew. He also, so there's that idea. We have the foreknowledge of God. So how do we begin to resolve this? Um, it, it, for those of us that are trying to, bring together, like Justin said, the power of God and the love of God. Right. Um, our, our greatest concern in this area is the violation of our own free will. And that's, that's where if you, if you are not a dyed-in-the-wool Calvinist, when you have an issue with this kind of... Um, I, I really don't know that we many of us have a problem with the foreordination of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, some of us would probably have a problem with Judas and with Pilate and with the the Jewish leadership and all of these people that were involved in, well, if God was orchestrating this perfectly from the beginning of time, did they even have a choice? We, we can go there a little bit, but we can quickly see that, well, God just, he had a mission for Jesus and he achieved it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we mm-hmm. can rather quickly move past that. But when we get to those he um, predestined, he for all those and, and the, the Revelation 13 text that only those whose names were in the book. So we have all of these were, okay, you mean that there are people that are being born today in hospital nurseries that have no chance. Their names aren't written down somewhere. Yeah, they have yeah. no chance. Yeah. And, uh, and we, we don't go to you know adults that have made intentional decisions to thumb their nose at the creator. We go to the innocent babies, right? And yeah. I, I love the extremes when we, go, when we start doing examples. But that's, that's the rub. And um, the truth is, left to my own devices and left to my own human-centered compassion, I could have a problem with that. But where, so I, I, because I don't naturally have a problem with it, I feel like, man, am I just kind of cold and hard-hearted? <laughs> well, yeah, why do you? Well, let's, let's tape, that's another podcast. That's another podcast. Um, Sharon will be involved in this podcast. <laughs> and Rachel. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Diane. Man. <laughs> Can I not be on that podcast? (laughs) But what I I eventually come back to is I don't think that it's not out of malice that I don't have a problem with these things. It's out of a deep reverence and respect for God's um, goodness and his ability to get it right. Yeah. Like he's not going to make a mistake and foreordain someone. Like Judas was not damned to hell because... Um, despite his his righteousness and his goodness and his love for his Lord, yeah. that I don't think that God, in that sense, I don't think he's violating free will. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm quick to back out, to tap out, however you want to say it, and and appeal to my finiteness, my finitude. I love to to describe. There is the gap between me and the mind of God is infinitely greater than the gap between me and my four year old son. And it baffles me my the, the things my four-year-old son doesn't understand that I do. Mm-hmm. And the gap between me and God is infinitely greater than that. And so in the mind of God, if he wants to make this call, it is by definition right. It is by definition good and loving. And it is 
it is incumbent on me, on us, on the church to to um, punt the question into eternity in some respects because we have to recognize yeah. we yep. can't get yep. this. We yep. can't know the mind of God, but he doesn't make mistakes. And so um, those whose names aren't written down beforehand, I don't know how that works, but in the end, I know that he will be worshiped for making the right decision. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I am reminded of, and I see this so well in my wife, is that I may wrestle with this um, more intellectually, um, understanding where people come from, even though I'm, I'm like you. I wonder sometimes, am I missing something? Because I'm not, I'm not dying over this. Like, I'm not breaking over this. So am I, do I not have the heart for people that, that maybe I should have? Um, but then I have to ha- remember that I have to, as my heart for people has to be, uh, has to serve my heart for the Lord. So even in terms of the priorities of these things, love the Lord your God, number one, then love your brothers and sisters, uh, humanity, number two, and it's always number two. And so one of the things that I and when I, I was wrestling with when I was preaching this text, because I, I, I knew this was going to happen, right? Almost like predestined. No, no, I'm not quite that kind of foreknowledge, but I kind of, I kind of almost, almost perfectly guessed that, hey, people are going to wonder this, right? And so as that's happening, I realized um, as I'm wrestling with it, that I, I really have to begin to work through um, the character of God. Like you said, you begin to lean on into the perfect nature of God, the perfectly loving nature of God. And those aren't, uh, we're reading a book right now, uh, The Knowledge of the Holy, um, as a, many of, a bunch of men in the church are reading that book. And it's interesting because those aren't attributes of God. God is fully those things. So they're not a part of whose character is. So he's not part loving, part hating. Um, he is perfect love. He is fully love in its greatest embodiment. And so that's the part that it's fun to watch my wife begin to let it go. I like that statement. You know, I can't even say it's fourth and 28. It's it's more than that. You're not going to get a first down on this. So it's basically uh, you're punting because there's not a chance that this is going to work and you're going to have to kind of take it up in the next life where God is going to show us how these things took place. And he, he may even choose. He may He may forever say, there's no way for you to understand how my foreknowledge works in accordance with history. Yeah. And that's the part that I'm really comfortable with. I really am. I'm, and I lean into, I really would. Don't begin to, there's, I think, two approaches. One of them is when you begin to wrestle with this and you begin to get almost frustrated with God because you cannot believe he let your grandma, da 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 You cannot believe he let your child or Judas or whoever, da 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 but remember that the character and the nature of God clearly stands. Um, uh, that, that's a very clear uh, picture of it is. We don't, the Bible doesn't go, yeah, we don't know if God's loving or not. It's like, no, he is loving, perfectly loving. And he, is, he knows all. So there is a knowledge of, of the past, present, and future. All of those things fit together. How? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, even even if we ever get the explanation in eternity, it's still going to be by way of analogy and metaphor because I think – God is is going to say, hmm, I don't know how I explain like me to you in a way that you can understand me. Like we we will forever be incapable of grasping him completely. Yeah, I think someone's breaking into the room right now, so that ought to be fun. Yeah. I think they're getting ready for uh, how stuff works. Camp. How stuff works camps coming yep. on today here at the church. So, um, okay, any final thoughts that you guys want to kind of share with our listeners as we close? I pray that your names are not blotted out of the book of life. <laughs> That's all I want to Listen, say. Listen, you and me both. You know? <laughs> and I'll be honest with you. I really hope my name's in there more than either of you two. Yes, yes. Well, let's just say it's, it doesn't really take um, – it, it is not a, a cosmic guessing game. It, there are many places that just talk about those who endure to the end. Those are the names in. So Yeah. 
So actually, may, that's may, that's may right after right after you know in your Revelation thirteen yep. it ends. This calls if, for yeah. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. So uh, that's a great way to end. Okay, guys, um, uh, we will be again this Sunday preaching the text. I pray faithfully. If not, let me or whoever's preaching know that we're not rightfully. Uh, I will. I know you. Will. <laughs> I know Justin will too. Um, we will. We will keep each other accountable. We want you know our elders try to keep us accountable. I like how Justin described it. We're just trying to, um, in a mature way, uh, biblically mature way, not not just human mature, but biblical maturity to treat the text well so that we can wrestle with it when we need to wrestle with it and always find peace that our our understanding of our lives and our God fits in with the text. Glory to God alone. That's it.